You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. What's up, guys? Hope that you are doing well. Welcome into part four of our series, Life in Exile. We've been walking through the book of Daniel. It's been really incredible. If you haven't caught any of the messages up to this point, I would highly encourage you to go back, listen to the first three parts. We're just building uh, on top of the story that we already know. So tonight, tonight, I'm recording this at 7.59 in the morning, and you're who knows when you're listening to it. So today is probably the more appropriate way to say that. Um, we are going to be talking about Daniel chapter 5. And last week, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the Fiery Furnace. This week, we're going to be back to a moment that takes place between Daniel and the king who comes after King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is the ruler who conquers Judah, who takes uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into captivity and has these different interactions through the first four chapters with Daniel. And now we're in Daniel chapter five and King Belshazzar, the predecessor of King Nebuchadnezzar, comes onto the scene. So in Daniel chapter 5, it's kind of a bizarre story because the book of Daniel, let's be honest, has a lot of bizarre, crazy stories. Like you can make movie after movie after movie about these different instances. But this is the Bible, and it's amazing that that these interactions happen, and there are lots of crazy stories. But this story specifically contains some things that I think that we can absolutely learn from. The chapter starts by talking about the new king, Belshazzar, partying with his friends and his wives and his concubines, and they end up he gets drunk and he calls for the vessels that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And so they take these things that were holy and were consecrated and dedicated to God. And they start drinking out of them and, and eating off like they're just common, um, serving where, and God does not like that. And it just leads to uh, an interaction between Daniel and Belshazzar. And it points to Belshazzar's heart, his willingness to do something like that. So where we're going to pick up is Daniel chapter five, verses five through nine. It says, at that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the King's palace next to the lampstand. As the King watched watched the hand that was writing. He's, his face turned pale and his thoughts were so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. Understandable. The king shouted to bring in the mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around his neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face turned pale and his nobles were bewildered. This passage really is just setting the groundwork for the rest of the story. If you remember, and or if you listened to part two of our series, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it terrifies him, and he calls the Chaldeans, the diviners, and the magicians, and he says, hey, I need somebody to interpret this dream, and nobody could do it until Daniel stepped into the onto the scene and interpreted the dream for him. So the request is the same. The result is the same. Nobody's able to interpret it, and then... The same man who got his place in a specific position is the same man who's going to step in, and that is Daniel. Verses 10 through 12 go on to say, Because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. In the day of your predecessor, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. Your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, so we have Belshazzar and Belteshazzar, 
was found to have an extraordinary spirit. This is Daniel. He's able. He was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he will give you the interpretation. The first point this week is that someone has been there before. Someone has been there before multiple times. Belshazzar's wife says, your predecessor, your predecessor, your predecessor. Someone has been there before. One of the biggest flaws of the human condition is that we fail to learn from those that have gone before us. And that applies to our world in every way possible, but it also applies to us individually as well. It can often feel like we're the first person to only do the thing that we're doing or the only person who's in the situation that we're going through. The circumstance that we're facing is unique to us and us alone, but it's not. It's not. We're not alone. People have succeeded and failed in very similar spots. And, and, and the question that we have to ask is, why do we refuse to listen? And why do we refuse to learn? Belshazzar was literally following in the footsteps of a king that came before him. The link might not be that direct for us, but it is there. Who could you seek out? Who could you seek out for wisdom? <coughs> excuse me, you don't You don't have to live life solo. So often we feel like we have to live life in a way that is just like us against the world, like we are mavericks, like we, we are people who are just going to go out and we're going to do life and we don't need people around us, but we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live life solo. This could apply vocationally, finding someone to who's done it before. This could apply relationally. This is definitely going to apply spiritually vocationally who's done your work before like that one's pretty simple like who who's been in this position before can you learn from them is that possible what happens in the vocational world often though is that there's this this lack of partnership because nobody wants to train you in the job that they're doing because you might replace them so when we step into the workforce how can we humbly step in and ask for guidance and permission from people who have done the job that we're doing before relationally and spiritually who has walked out their faith and their life well who we really admire i truly believe that mentorship is such an undervalued element of our lives what would happen if a community of young adults committed to seeking out wisdom from the people who have walked life out before them what would happen if we didn't just sit around and wait for somebody to give us advice but we actually went and sought out advice from people who have done life before us when it comes to kings, they just replete, replaced one another. Like one died, another one stepped in. But we we get to live in a world where there can be collaboration among generations. Now, I get it. You might be thinking like boomers don't want to be in relationship with us and we don't really want to be in relationship with boomers either because all they're going to do is scold us and tell us how lazy we are and blah, 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 blah. But what if we change the dynamic? What if we humbled ourselves and learned while simultaneously communicating to them that our best days are ahead? I was just talking to a pastor who's on the western part in the western part of Montana and this guy had to have been in his 70s and it was amazing to just have a conversation with him and hear what he had to say about the next generation oftentimes how uh, you have pastors who are white knuckling the pulpit and scared about the future of the church but he just really made it clear that he believed that the next generation was the future of the church not just because they are going to be there physically like they're the next in line because of their age but because he thinks that they're going to take the next generation is going to take the church into places that it hasn't been before. And it was so refreshing to hear somebody talk like that. And I don't think that he's alone. And I've talked to multiple 20 somethings in the last couple months that are just so hungry to learn from people who are in their fifties and sixties and, and, and people who have had kids and are married and have done the work that they're doing, who have been in ministry before, whatever it may be. 
And that gives me a lot of hope because we have to be people who believe that the best days are ahead. There's something to be learned from one another, and we get to be a part of that. And isn't that incredible? Verse 13 of the story goes on to say, Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought from Judah? So the next point this week is identified as exile. No matter what Daniel had accomplished, right? He had interpreted dreams. He had been a governor of an entire province. He had been a powerful person. He had been a main advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar. All of these things he had accomplished, he was still identified as the exile from Judah. He was identified as being different than the Babylonian empire. And I don't think that offended him one bit. I don't think it should offend us either if people identify us as exiles, as people who are not a part of the regular culture around us. Our identity should be rooted in the fact that we do not belong to this world, but that we belong to Jesus and Jesus alone. We can engage as amazing citizens in our communities. Without a doubt, we should. But it has the, but that potential will only fully be realized when we understand that our primary citizenship is in heaven. I believe that we can change communities. I think that we can change policies politically. I think we can do all those things. I think we can engage with the infrastructure of our our city, like all of those things. I think that is absolutely incredible. But we will never realize the full potential that we could have in that way if we don't understand that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven and that God is the king of our lives. And if we can do that, then we can engage with our communities here on earth even better. When you make Jesus the cornerstone cornerstone of your life, people will notice. And if someone were to use exile as an insult, like, oh man, you're different. You don't belong here. That's okay. Like, don't don't wear that as an insult. Wear it with a badge of honor. So yeah, like I'm rooted in something that is not of this world. And that is something that we should walk out with pride, where with humility and not with pride. That there would never be yeah, I'm better than you because I'm not a citizen. Like my citizenship is in heaven. And so like, I know better than you. No, we would walk it out in humility. And we'd say the only difference between me and somebody who doesn't follow Jesus is that we're both broken. I just realized that I need a savior. That's it. We're both broken. We're all broken. We don't, we don't become better people than the people around us just because we follow Jesus, but we should become people who are more humble if we follow Jesus. Verses 14 through 16 go on to say this. King Belshazzar says to Daniel, I've heard that you have a spirit of the gods in you and that that you have insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom. Now the wise men and mediums were brought before me to read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not give its interpretation. However, I have heard about you, that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you'll be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom question that we need to ask ourselves this week. What do people hear about us? What do people hear about us? Have you ever walked into a room and you walk in and you see somebody you know and they're talking to somebody else and you walk up and they go, oh my gosh, we were just talking about you. Like, right? We've all probably experienced that on some level. How many of us get nervous? Like, what were you saying? It's usually followed with a joke, right? Like, oh, I hope hope all good things. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, all good things. And you're like, that's not super convincing. Right? We we step in and we we hear somebody say like, hey, we were just talking about you, but we want to know, what were you saying? What do people hear about us? What are they saying? Collectively and individually, we are making impressions. When people talk about you, when people talk about me, when people talk about us, what do you think they're saying? Are they saying, I've heard they're judgmental? I've heard they're super accepting. I've heard they hate this type of people. 
I've heard they love extraordinarily no matter where people find themselves. Sometimes we tend to believe that perception doesn't matter, but it does. And I will fight that fight. Perception matters. Without question, people are going to have unfair and unfounded perceptions of others, us included. But a lot of the time, some perception is rooted in maybe a little bit of truth, that there is an interaction or word, word spoken, and, and it's not the totality of who somebody is, but you have one interaction and then you start to build a perception around that until you have a better perception. Or you have a really good interaction with somebody, you build a really high perception and expectation of people until you spend more time with them. The question is, are we willing to put in the work that, so that people have a positive perception of us as followers of Jesus, both individually and collectively? I want people to think of young adults at Faith Chapel as a community of people who loves unbelievably, that the perception of our community is that we are full of humility and we serve and that we love and that we, we meet people right where they're at and that we are broken and messy, but we are so on fire for Jesus. Like That's the perception that I want people to have. But we're all individuals who have a, a mark to make on this community. And if the collective perception is not good, then we might not ever be known as that. But if we individually make a commitment to being people like that, and we collectively make a commitment to being people like that, and people start to talk about us and they say good things, that is amazing. I can't tell you what, there, there's very few things that make my heart more happy than when I ask how somebody found out about our ministry. They walk in on a Tuesday night, I'm like, how'd you find out about us? Like, oh man, I was talking to somebody and I just heard that this was an incredible community to be a part of. That makes my heart so happy. So what are people saying about us? And would we be people who commit to never making unfounded or untruthful perceptions of others until we actually step into relationship? And not in a judgmental way, like, okay, I have a relationship with you now, now I'm going to cast judgment. But that we'd be people who always step in and value relationships so much that the perceptions that we have people are rooted in truth and truth alone, that we would never have unfounded or untruthful perceptions of others. See, King Belshazzar says, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard that you have this, I've heard you are this, I heard you're gifted, I heard this. So what are people hearing about us? Daniel chapter 5, verse 17 goes on to say this. This is Daniel's response. It says, Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. You can keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. The next point is this, faithful because of the calling, not the reward. Daniel was placed in a position of influence by God. He stepped in to interpret for yet another king because of where God had him, not because of the possibility of reward, but because that's where God had placed him. The question that we have to ask is, would we be faithful if we knew there was no reward? We've kind of touched on this idea over the last month, but let's focus in on it for just a moment. We Do we have clarity on what is motivating us? Is it a reward? Do we do the things that we do? Do we love? Do we serve? Do we do those things because of a reward or because we're being faithful to who God has called us to be? And I think that we can take it one step further and we can ask ourselves a question. Is what is motivating me holy or is it human? Is it holy or is it human? Imagine what our lives would look like if we actually took the time to pause and ask that question in big seasons and little ones, in big moments, in little moments. And when I say holy, a lot of us are like, man, that's a big church where holy just means dedicated unto the Lord. It just means that is what's motivating us dedicated to the heart of God or is what's motivating us dedicated to the heart of me? 
Last week, we talked about how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived these lives where they were constantly engaging with the presence of God. They, they knew the presence of God. They were confident in the presence of God because they were always constantly engaging with it. And this is one of the ways that we could have that same kind of life, actually assessing if we are being driven by God's desires or our own, asking if our motivation is holy or human. You see, our humanity drives us to think about how we benefit. Our holiness or dedication to God drives us to think about how the kingdom of God benefits. Would we be people who are more interested in making heaven crowded than finding personal gain? That our motivations would always be rooted in Christ. So after verse 17, there are a couple more verses where Daniel mentions a story about how King Nebuchadnezzar got greedy and prideful. And the Lord humbled him so much that he was eating with the cattle. This is all. This all happens in chapter 4, and it's actually spoken by the account of King Nebuchadnezzar himself, but that's a story that undoubtedly King Belshazzar, his predis- his or his his uh, replacement, knew. That his predecessor got greedy, got prideful, kind of went crazy, and ended up eating with the cattle. Like, there's no way that he didn't hear that story. And in Daniel chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, Daniel touches on that, that the, the fact that, that there's no way that Belshazzar did not know, and he was unwilling to learn from a situation. Daniel says this, he says, but you, you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Even though you knew all of this, you knew the story. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you. And as you and your nobles, wives and concubines, drank wine from them, you praise the gods made of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. The last point this week is twofold. The first question is, do we believe that God is all-powerful? Do we believe that God is all-powerful? The the question is fairly straightforward, and you kind of either do believe that God is all-powerful or you don't. And if we answer yes to that first question, the second question would be this. Do we act like it? Do we act like it? Daniel looks at another broken man, another broken king, and says, you know, you know that God is mighty that he controls everything, that he sets kings and he tears kings down, and yet you act like you are completely ignorant of it. I cannot tell you how many times in my life that I have had to look in the mirror and say something very, very similar to that to myself. Evan, you, you believe that Jesus is who he said he is with everything in you, and yet the way you are acting isn't lining up with that belief. I've said that too many times in my life. We're never going to be perfect, but we can't just believe with our words. That's empty. We're, we're called to live lives that indicate that we know that God is in control. That means not living in fear. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be fear in moments of our life, but it's not letting fear control our lives, dictate how we live. That means living a life full of love. And it would be great if we had unconditional love, but we are human and we have uh, fallibility in us. But it's a life that is rooted in love where people would say, yeah, they love well. It means living a life that is submitted to Jesus. A life that is not pursuing our own desires, but pursuing the desires of his heart. That means repenting when we've done wrong. That doesn't mean just saying sorry. That means actually doing an about face. That means doing a 180 and walking away from the lifestyle that we're living. We can say whatever we want with our words, but the picture of our lives is painted with so much more than words. Our actions have to line up. At the end of that verse, it says that that you don't even respect this guy like you you drank from these things and and you you didn't respect god because you've not glorified him and and this is the god who holds your life breath in his hands and who controls the whole course of your life but you have not glorified him like that is crazy so would our lives be lives that glorify the god who holds the life breath of our lives in his hands verses 23 22 through 24 wrap up the story and 
it, it simply just says what the inscription on the wall says. So the story starts with this, this hand writing on the wall. And this is Daniel's interpretation of this. It says, but you, a successor, sorry, what I meant to say is verses 25 through 31 say that. And it says this, this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel persayin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Paris means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave an order and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed gold around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. King Nebuchadnezzar, the man that King Belshazzar replaced, should is a man that, that Belshazzar should have learned from. King Nebuchadnezzar declared that Daniel's God was a lord of lords, the king of kings, the great revealer of mysteries. He made a, a declaration to the entire nation that Belshazzar was also a part of. Maybe he could have listened. Maybe he should have listened. Maybe we should too. Maybe we should never neglect to listen to, to God in our lives and listen to the people who have come before us and understand that God is God and we are not, and he is all-powerful, and he is the Lord of Lords, and he is the King of Kings, and he is the great revealer of mysteries. And we don't want to be people who neglect the voice of God. We don't want to be people who neglect the, pe- the voice of the people who have gone before us. So let's engage with that. Let's look for generational collaboration. Let's believe that God is powerful, that he is in control, and let's be faithful because he is God and we are not. And not faithful because we're going to get a reward, but faithful because we want to follow him. And would we be people who have a great perception, who where our reputation precedes us and the reputation is good and it is loving and it is kind and it is all full of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.